Welcome to Three Things with Rick Elias, featuring fascinating conversations with some of the world's most insightful people and three inspiring life lessons at the end of every episode. Today's guest is Brad Stevens, the current president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics and one of the most transformational leaders in the NBA. Before moving to the Celtics front office, he served eight seasons as the team's head coach, leading them to seven straight trips to the playoffs. Before that, he was head coach of Butler, where he led them to their first Final Four in school history and broke the NCAA record for the most wins in any coach's first three years. Through it all, he's built a reputation for staying impossibly calm on the sidelines, even in the most dramatic competitions, and for bringing superstar performances out of players who otherwise may have stayed under the radar. In this episode, Brad shares his view on when to take big risks, what separates good competitors from great ones, and what it means to be a good teammate in all aspects of life. This is Three Things with Brad Stevens. All right, so today we are kicking off the season of the podcast with one of the best coaches in basketball (laughs) over the last 20 years. He's the current president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics and a good friend. So Brad, thank you for being on the podcast. I know you're a fan of the podcast, so it's been a long time coming. No, thanks for having me, Rick. It's great to be here. Let's talk a little about uh, the start to the season. You're about a quarter of the season in, and you're in first place, best team in the league. How do you feel about the squad? I think the best way to phrase it is it's early. <laughs> um, the one thing, you know, having been through so many of these seasons now in the pro level, and this is my 10th year with the Celtics, there's a lot that can happen in a week's time. And there's a lot that can happen certainly in six months' time. So our goal is to continue to get better, to continue to try to grow as a team and grow together. But there's a long way to go. (laughs) The quarter left. As of of November, whatever, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, That's great. One of the things that I have admired about you is your courage to make really difficult decisions. I did not know you then, but you left a good paying job at Eli Lilly to go Mm -hmm. sit as a volunteer on a bench. That requires a little craziness, a bunch of conviction in in some gut feeling. So you left Butler, you could have gone anywhere at that Mm -hmm. point, and you came to the NBA. So walk us through your decision-making process in those two transitions. I left Eli Lilly because I just wanted to be a part of a team and compete. And um, I didn't see the downside at 23 of leaving the corporate world. I felt like I could always go back if I wanted to. I may have been wrong, but um, that's kind of the way I felt, right? And then at 30 or 36 when I left Butler to come here, Tracy had a really good line. Tracy's my wife. um, And she said, you know, you'll never be as good as you want until you're uncomfortable. Mm. And I think that that's probably when I think back to both the move from Butler or to Butler as a volunteer to Boston and then now to this role. Mm. There's been a lot of discomfort that came from Mm. all three, Mm. but it really challenges you to grow quickly. For me, I'm really lucky because I felt like I could have gone back to the pharmaceutical world. Maybe I couldn't have. If it didn't work out here as a coach, you know, I probably could go coach in college somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, um, And if it doesn't work out as the GM, then you know, I've been really fortunate to be in basketball for 25 years. Right. I felt like I've gotten a chance to experience so much and been fortunate to experience so much mm. that it mm. was worth the it was worth the jump. Brad, so powerful to think about this notion of seeking discomfort and how opposite to the generation that we're yeah. racing in many ways these days, right? And, and, and I think that's really, really powerful. And then that this question, might be the last time I do that, though. 
You know, I like, doubt it. I just, doubt it. Well, yeah. Well, you know, already, from yeah. here now, yeah. Well, yeah, you I don't never know. know. I think there probably comes a point in life where you probably yeah. maybe should look the but, other but way. But your other point is equally powerful. What's the worst thing that can happen? No, that's right. Yeah. Right. Well, like, we're really we've been yeah. really lucky. We've been this this whole basketball journey has been right. something that you never you know from yeah. from a kid in Indiana you would never have uh, dreamt of. I double click on that for a second. Like Indiana. You know, of all places in America, is known as the hotbed of basketball and the language of, of yeah. kind of the, the state. Do you think you would have had the same relationship with the sport if you're born in another state? No chance. Really? No chance. My dad was a football player in college. He played at Indiana. I occasionally went down to IU football games, but it was nothing like going down to IU basketball games. You know, and so you'd have weekends where you'd go to IU on Saturday after a high school game on Friday night and maybe a Pacers game on Sunday. And, you know, you think about that time in the 80s. IU wins two national championships. Purdue's loaded. Knight and Katie are probably the two most recognizable coaches in all of college basketball. And so you, you're, you're literally watching every minute of every game, even if you hate Purdue and are rooting for IU or vice yeah, versa. Yeah. The Pacers draft Reggie Miller. Yeah. You know, through high school basketball in the state of Indiana at the time, we had Sean Kemp and Glenn Robinson came through in the early 90s and Damon Bailey and Steve Alford. And you go on down the road, like, every night there was something special about basketball in that state. And so there's no chance that I would have had this relationship with this game without growing up there. I'm really thankful I did because it was – it's just a special place when you like hoops. You know, I've recently been thinking a lot about this concept that life is neither a sprint nor a marathon, although the NBA season does feel like a bit of a marathon. But it's this concept that life is a series of intervals, Mm -hmm. right? And those intervals, like, you know, I guess in in, in your world where there's a a zero-sum game, you want to make sure that that last interval, you're at your peak, Yeah. right? So a lot of it is managing health and energy and culture and all of that and the roster and all of those good things. When you you just said that, the, the thing that came to mind, I've been asked a lot about the difference between coaching and being in the front office. Yeah. Coaching feels like you're sprinting a marathon. (laughs) <laughs> I think that that's now the right, best right, way right, to phrase right, it. Right, right. And in the in the in the front office, yes, you're you're a part of a marathon, but you're watching it with a ten thousand foot view. Right. Your your first mile, you're not coming out of the gates flying. You're looking at the whole thing. You're not overreacting. So interesting. Um, but when you're in coaching, you're just sprinting. Were you're you constantly those, sprinting. One of those coaches, Brad, and, and I, I love your demeanor on the on the sidelines. After that, like if I ever coached something, I would mirror more your demeanor than others' demeanors. But uh, you know, it, I know a lot of coaches, and by and large, the feeling they got after a victory was not joy, was relief. Were yeah. you on that boat? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and I think it got That's hard- torturous. Yeah, I think it got harder as the years went on. Um, <laughs> I do. And, and, you know, listen, I was, you know, one of my drivers in coaching was you know the idea of the mindset by carol dweck where you're just talking about focusing on continuous growth and but to say that and to do it is really difficult um and i will say that i think you know each year presents its own challenges in that you know you see some teams that are out of the gates with you know low expectations and maybe you can have a great run with low expectations all the way through a year or a series of years or whatever the case may be but eventually it's going to really build up right. and it's different to to navigate and manage that as well um, especially in this day and age with the amount of scrutiny right. the amount of praise um, the amount of noise 
that you're getting yeah. every single day. And so for me, I'd say that I was always worried about what was next when I was yeah. coaching. Yeah. You know, and I was always. It, why did it get harder? Double click on that. You know, it's funny. We started off my first year I, when I first got the job at Butler, I was 30 years old. And I was just like, I'm going to just put my best foot forward, do my best and enjoy it. Right. Yeah. And then we start off seven and zero, oh, and by game eight, I'm like on edge, you know. And I think that that's just the way that you feel. And so I, I think fun? you have the you have the ability to to take perspective and say, okay, I need to recenter myself here yeah. and yeah. Fo- figure out what's important. Focus just on coaching the team. Don't worry about anything else. But you yeah. are also human, yeah. so you're yeah, yeah, you're yeah. It, navigating that whole journey um, without question. 90% of the coaches I know would say, yeah. probably more, would yeah. say winning's a sigh of relief and losing's miserable. miserable. And I think the, <laughs> the, the, you can see that or you know that because you can remember every detail of a loss. And you and I have talked about culture a lot over time. Um, how would you describe the culture of the organization right now? Yeah, I think I, I always think what you said is right. Culture's like a shark. It's constantly moving. Mm. Um, and, and I think that the one thing that we can't, rely on um, is our tradition. And it's easy to focus on the fact that we have 17 banners and everybody that comes here wants to see the banners and the names that are in the, in the, right. in the rafters. And um, to me, that's proof that it can be done. Um, but who you, who you are in the locker room right now, you know, how you interact, what you bring to the table, your willingness to accept a role, your willingness to play that mm. role well, um, that will ultimately define the culture of every given team. And, it, and to be honest, there's, you know, there's some things that you can build over time that hopefully you create a sustainability about you. But each team will be challenged each week in the NBA. And so it's always threatened. And so you have to make sure you do your best to, to navigate that with, you know, the right leadership. As I think about it, every NBA champion not only has a star, but typically those stars are good leaders. Like, it's hard to think of a team where the star was not a good leader and the team did well. And, and good leaders, very competitive, very smart. I think, you know, you go through the number of categories. It's why it's hard to be good. It's hard to be, yeah. you know, those, those people have everything. We've had teams that have had people that have been unbelievable in all those categories as well and come up short. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's only right. one team that can win, and it takes a lot to be, to be standing there at the end. And you're always on edge because of it. Yes. You always know how fragile it is when you're good. Um, and so, you know, it's the old adage of you're never as good as you think you are, and you're never as bad as you think you are, right. and you're probably never far from either. And so, like, you better, <laughs> like make, like you, yeah, you better make sure that you stay on your toes. And, yeah. All right, I want to pivot a little bit. Two and a half years ago or so, you and I had a conversation. You were in the bubble. And I think you were reaching out to different yep. friends with different perspectives. And you confided in me, and I never shared it with anybody, that you were really struggling with having teenagers at home and, you know, being pulled. And, and I think that was such a dramatic pull away from your family and having to be in the bubble. But I think it was a greater theme around the sacrifice of coaching and what it was sacrificing personally. And, you know, having been through the same struggles building a business and mm-hmm. what it did, I think. And then shortly thereafter, you took the courageous move of stepping down of one of the greatest coaching jobs in any sport, in any place. Walk us through that decision and really yeah. what were you running towards? Because I know you were not running away I th- from I th- anything. I think, well, if I remember correctly, it was right after the bubble. So it was maybe that next year where we were 
all playing in front of nobody in gyms. You know, for me, it was a couple of things. Number one is like a lot of people during the pandemic, the time away in the bubble after, and then starting a new season two months later. Yeah. And then we were really beat up that year. We were kind of shell of ourselves in a lot of ways right. um, in that series. But for me personally, you know, you could tell if, if it was eight years of coaching, which it was, yeah. the last two probably felt like seven or eight on top of the first six. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that all those seasons running together, and then you, you kind of know, and I had never experienced this before, yeah. you kind of know when the locker room needs a new voice. Huh. And for me, it just seemed to me that it would be mutually beneficial. It would be great for me from the standpoint of, a new challenge. It was, you know, a very hard challenge, yeah. but also an opportunity to be at my son's high school games and be at a lot more soccer games with my daughters and, and do and, and be much more present and be in the 10,000 foot view of building a team, which I really missed from was that my part college of the plan days. All along? Were you thinking never, that may be it? What no, you I would, do? Like I a would, year before, you say, what are the likelihood of you being a, you if know? If I would have planned any of this, I would have thought I was crazy. So I'm just. No, there was no real plan. Um, so Danny, but it just Danny. hit me. It hit me, and and you wow. know we we talked to the um, to our ownership group about it, and and it just made sense yeah. to make that move at that time, and um, and I do think our team benefited from it. Our team yeah. has benefited from new voices, and and it's been great for me because I still know those guys really well. Yeah, I yeah. know what makes them tick on and off the court. I know who they need to be surrounded by to have success. I think I know what our strengths are, and yeah. I think I know how we can best play together. But I also think it's got to be somebody else talking yeah. about it in every meeting. And maybe I can add a little value and help putting some pieces together from the seat I'm in. And I still miss some things about coaching, yeah, but it was the right move for me not to be the coach. Yeah, I think there's something super interesting there about the continuity for the organization to have a long-term coach, eight years is long-term, that understands the good and the bad of the roster of the organization, create space for a new voice, but still have that continuity. So unique. If you were to coach again, would you prefer to go back to college? Would you stay in the pros or would you yeah, coach uh, I, you know, the, the U.S. national team, or would you coach, I don't know, high school basketball? I think what I've learned about – so I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Um, what I do know is what I, what I, what I miss about coaching mm. is the teaching and adjusting in the arena. Like mm. when you're in the middle of a game, when you're in the middle of a playoff series, when mm. you're in the middle of an NCAA tournament run, mm. um, you know, all of those things – the, the prep that goes into that time of the year and the chess yeah. match that goes into that type of year, I really miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the teaching at the start yeah. of the year, mostly in yeah. the NBA, yeah, but you NBA, get more yeah. of that through college, right? Yeah. So if I, ever, if I ever went back, those would be the yeah, kind of the reasons. And to me, you get that at any level. Yeah. You know, enough. you get that at, if you're coaching summer ball, you get it at an AAU tournament in the summer, you know, you yeah. get to practice wherever yeah. it's so, Levels aren't really important. I've been really lucky to yeah. coach yeah. at two super high levels, and yeah. I'm liking what I'm doing now, so I yeah. don't yeah, see yeah, myself yeah, yeah. moving anytime soon. You're in a good spot right now. But the NBA game has changed a ton, even in the eight years you've been in the league. Mm -hmm. uh, the college game may or may not have changed as much, but clearly between NIL, 
and the portal and all this stuff. You know, what, what's your take on that? Is it good for the game, bad for the game, or most things a little bit of both? Uh, my take is a couple of things. Number one is I think it's great that kids are able to benefit off the name and mention likeness. I think that's far overdue, and yeah, it's, it's a good thing. The combination of that and the transfer portal where somebody has a semi-decent year and then puts their name in the portal just to raise their market, which is totally makes sense to me, and a lot of people do at a lot of right. different levels, right. and, but it's going to make it harder to build like long-lasting four- and five-year teams. I do think that the teams and programs that can balance that, those programs have a chance to separate themselves even more now because yeah. otherwise it's going to be a lot of transiency. It's going to be a lot of, yeah. you know, you could go and you could be a freshman and you could play with basically four different teams. One of the things we've talked a lot about is no matter the level is – is there a place where you can find that you're going to have consistency of teammates? Hmm. Because that's really what makes it special. You know, it's, it's do you win together and do you have lifelong friendships? Yeah. Well, if everybody's leaving every nine months, yeah. that's tough. So yeah. at different levels, I think there's going to be a real advantage to maintaining, yeah. you know, um, the consistency of teammate. Because that, that really, again, is what's important. You know, you see that in the workforce today where everybody kind of acts like a free agent a little bit like this and, you know, people changing with, especially after the pandemic. And you miss out on what really matters at work, which is the depth of real cycles of experiences and the relationships and everything else. And uh, so I, that's a really good insight. I'm, I'm really thankful that I've worked in an industry, in an organization that has been together throughout all this, that comes to work every day, mm. that is... Mm not working from home that is not on zoom every minute of every day you know we we the bubble was a challenge in some ways but it was such a blessing because right. you're there just playing basketball and no one else at the time is gathering inside anywhere right. Right. and so you're there was it hard with, to come out and you're like wait what is it this? was it was it was really interesting because you know you're, we were there for 85 days right. we were in a hotel with um the other seven top seeds in the nba so we saw those people every single day until they got knocked out of the playoffs. And then you see all these bags and everybody's leaving and walking out. It's like they're going this out. This is like a show, world. one of those shows, yeah. like the, the and Bachelor, then, Bachelor. And then you start talking about bags. what's it going to be like to leave. <laughs> yeah, and so it, it actually was wild. As it got less and less, you know, it was like, oh, my gosh, like this it's team's ending. gone. Yeah, there's, there's nobody left. Um, so I wish we could have stayed all the way till the very end, but, um, uh, that was, that was interesting. Then when you come back, it is like, you know, you're so used to being tested every day. We were all wearing masks everywhere. We went inside, even though really? COVID never really came into the equation. We, we take them off for the games, but like, it was a pretty wild experience. Let's just talk a little bit about the league from the GM's lens. You build a culture, you build an organization. I think with the Celtics, you know, by plan, by design, by luck, have done really well is, you know, really drafted well, have committed to young talent. And you sit here with a roster that I think is super enviable. And yet you're not the highest payroll. And yet you're not, you know, you're, you're super deep. Like, you know, it's almost like this has a, a virtuous kind of momentum to it. Do you think that's the recipe for success in the NBA or is there multiple recipes? I think there's multiple. I think there's multiple. I will say that the one thing that you can never project or predict is how, especially when teams first come together, yeah. how it will all function together. Yeah. How people will be willing to adapt, embrace roles, 
make each other better. That stuff is way harder to predict. That's to me the fun part about basketball is how can you create a beautiful game playing together with the strengths of everybody in the building? And great coaching, you know, when it's talked about it from an X's and O's standpoint, to me, is should be more focused on, okay, can that coach take a number of people with great strengths and maybe some weaknesses and really minimize the weaknesses and just the strengths to show out? Right, right, right. And can a team do that? And can a team mm. build that? And so... That's why I never get into the prediction game, because I don't know how that stuff's going to play out. That's fair enough. Going back to players, and again, I'm, I'm testing some of my long thoughts here, and I've been dying to have this conversation, yeah. but I think that if I was drafting at any level, I would one of the top three things other than skill will be, do you love the game? Yeah. Right? And do you really love the game in a way that if you don't have it, you miss it? If you have time, you want to invest in it. It's not work. Is that a criteria for you guys when you look at talent? My, um, the way that I would phrase that is the, is the term competitive character. Mm. Like, do you come back in the gym to work to improve regardless of circumstance, regardless mm. of what happened yesterday? You know, again, just as big of a threat as, a, as adversity can be, success in this league can be debilitating. But if you can, if you have, again, a couple of players that you can tell yeah. are that way, and they're your better players, that tends to be contagious. What was yeah. your best game as a player? I know you played very competitively all the way through college. What was the one game if you can re, you go like, okay, I get to do that game again. Which game is it as a player? Just like coaching, Rick, I can tell you the worst. No, I you can't said tell it, you no, that's not. I'm calling BS uh, on that. You said looking back, I you can remember the good I one. I don't, you know, I, my favorite run we went on was my senior year. We, we won our, our sectional championship, which yeah. was, at the time, we were in one class in the state of Indiana. It wasn't broken down into the classes. It was still the, you know, from the movie Hoosiers, the one-class system. So yeah. everybody plays for one championship. And um, so just winning a sectional, you know, it hadn't happened in a long time in our yeah. school and was super fun. Such an amazing language. Yeah. Like, to me, it literally is a platform and a language for so many things. Look, it's, it's friendships like this and, yep. you know, and, and the connections. So when you look at basketball outside of the game, what are some of those lessons that, that have kind of formed you and what you think that are not about a basketball but came through basketball? Well, I think you learn so much about dealing with the ups and downs of mm. winning and losing. You deal so much of understanding the importance of being a teammate. The only legacy that probably matters in all of this is what kind of a teammate you were, what kind of a person you were to work with. Mm. Um, and, and that becomes ever more crystal clear with each <laughs> passing year that, that I'm in this. And I would say, you know, for me, one of the coolest things and one of the things I really hope this facility that we're at now and recording this at yeah. um, will provide for our players is the sanctuary. Because to me, just going out and shooting on mm. a hoop mm. is the best 15 minutes of mindfulness one can get. To me, that's my, that's my special place. And that's been the way since I was, you know, 10 years old. Do you shoot for 15 old. minutes every day? I will go out. When I'm when I really need to, yeah, I'll go out That's and I'll shoot. Mean. Whether it's outside or yeah, old, yeah. you know just or down the way in here or, or yeah, with yeah. my son, or yeah. there is something special about that. And I think it's it's really an important thing for us hmm. to make this gym feel like that hmm. for our players hmm. that otherwise probably feel like when they walk out of here are being watched and you know looked yeah, at yeah, for everything yeah. they do yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. have to put capes on. It's just important to be 
yeah. the, the kid shooting hoops sometimes. I love that. Um, I really like have that. a place to do that. Uh, I was part of your summer symposium where you bring a lot of different people to talk about different things. And I know COVID has kind of slowed it down. Why do you do that? We had so much fun with that. And we haven't done it since COVID started, as you said. But we used to have a round table where my second year here, as we were entering my second year, so my first full summer, we decided to bring together maybe, you know, eight to ten Mm. local coaches from here in New England that were men's and women's college basketball coaches mostly and and then a couple of speakers that I was interested in learning from mm-hmm. you know we had a person that was a sleep doctor Angela Duckworth got on and did a, a video on grit you know the next year it became you know we invited all those people back and then five more and then the next year it was all those people back and ten more and then so by the end of it it was 50 or 60 yeah coaches all of our staff you know for me it was putting together a two-day event where i could learn a lot about non-basketball things yeah you know yeah. and we did everything from as I said psychology to um you spoke um from a management and leadership perspective to the x's and o's of coaching and it was a great way to meet people it was a great way to connect and network and selfishly it was a great way for me to learn what i wanted to learn in each of those areas and to bring young coaches in and see them. The best part is, is now baseball coaches from across the country have relationships with football coaches who have relationships with the CEO yeah. of Red Venture. You know, uh, it's, yeah. it's a fun part of this. Any, any player you missed on in college recruiting or in the draft that it was your decision where you go back on like, oh, I wish I would have coached that guy? Well, I haven't had the draft stuff yet. Um, because we've only had you two keep drafts. Trading your picks. Yeah, we keep trading the picks. Um, and maybe that's why I trade them because I know that I know that I'm going to miss. Um, you know, um, oh my gosh, you could make an all-star team out of the guys I missed at Butler. I mean, it's just I missed. Was there them. one where you're like, oh my goodness? The one that I was slow to offer a scholarship to was Monty Morris, and it was just as I look back on him, like how dumb am I? Like he would have been unbelievable there and he ended up at Iowa State you know he was right up the road in Michigan I went and saw him live he didn't have a great game but I mean when I tell you he's just one that comes to the top of my mind yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a long list yeah. it's a long list yeah. and we still had good teams yeah, um, so. the old adage of it's not who you don't get yeah. it's who you get that wins or loses yeah. is true yeah. and so it wasn't about necessarily you're going to swing and miss but just make yeah. sure the people that yeah. you bring into your program are good fits with each other and know how to compete together yeah. last question so you've been home a lot more as a gm and i know that was part of yeah. what you were you know at least looking as part of the currency how have you grown or changed as a as a dad and 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 as a husband in, in this last couple of years i think they would say go back to coaching so <laughs> i don't know i don't know that i've grown or changed i think i've just been around you're, you're, more you've grown less in popularity yeah it was really funny like yeah yeah i think my kids would all would both say hey you're around too much um you've got kids that are now in college um yeah, yeah. for me it was a very unique opportunity after being on the sprint that we talked about earlier yeah. um of 21 years or 22 years in coaching how many people get a chance to continue to be a part of a team, continue to work in team building, and also take a step back from that and right. have more of a, a normal cadence to your work, I guess, would be the way that I'd phrase it. Right. Right. Um, and so that's been really beneficial for me and to see the kids and to be able to, like I said, go to all the high school games, yeah. you know, and, and really enjoy that part of the journey. Because as much as I tried, right. 
and I really tried when I was coaching both at the college and pro level, it is those, the, the coaching is, is all encompassing all the time. And that's why I've got a great deal of respect for how hard the job is. And when we lose a game by 30, um, I'll say I've lost a few of those, um, <laughs> more than a few. I think like 250 when I was coaching here. So yeah, I don't um, think this team is going to lose many by 30. Well, <laughs> everybody has their moments in an NBA season, For but sure. we just need to be able to. The key is not that happening once. The key is bouncing back from it. Yeah, that's right. Listen, Brad, this was a ton of fun. I uh, I enjoy getting to know you a lot better through this, and the fact that you give me this much time is uh, it's awesome. So very that's grateful. great. Thank no, you. Thanks for having me, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Brad. That was awesome. Uh, before I get going on my three things, I want to acknowledge that there's something very unique about Brad. There's a sense of humility, a respect for luck, and more than anything, understanding that life is a team sport that really jumped out in this conversation. So here are my three things. Number one, seeking discomfort is a prerequisite for growth in life. Fighting the urge to play it safe is how we discover what life has in store for us. After all, what is the downside? Number two, to be great at something is not enough to have passion and put in the work. Brad's concept of competitive character really resonated with me. Are you willing to be coach? Are you willing to double down your efforts when things don't go well? Are you willing to take it to the next level when you taste some success? That is the difference between the good ones and the great ones. Number three, expectations, especially from others, can take away the joy from the journey. Too many people live in a never-ending loop of pursuing success and forget that in life, the memories and the people we connect with along the way are the only things that stand the test of time. Seek joy over relief at all times. And as a bonus, Brad really seemed to use the notion of being a part of a team as his guiding principle in life. No matter if it's a father, a husband, or just a coach, being the greatest teammate we can will ultimately define the quality of the life we live. Rick shared his three things, but we want to know your takeaways as well. Find at Rick Elias on social media and let us know your thoughts on this conversation. And be sure to check out additional content, videos, and more at our blog, threethings.redventures.com. Thanks for listening.